Hey folks, welcome to the Freakopolis Times, our podcast mostly about stuff related to our comics and game shop, the Freakopolis Geekery. We're Ian, Tyler, and Troy, and we run the shop and talk to people all the time, just like in this podcast. Join us and some occasional guests as we talk comics, games, pop culture, and just about anything else that pops up. Remember, while some of our topics may get a little geeky, they change up pretty often, so hang in there and maybe the next one will be more your style. By the way, this podcast is video enhanced on YouTube and Spotify. Check it out that way if you like visuals with your talk. You never know what might show up. Now, let's do the show. Got the store all Christmased out. We do, most of it anyways. The holiday orbs are afloat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody loves those. I think of the, yeah, I guess, I think of the, maybe they're magic, or maybe they're some galactic map. Yeah, they that's exactly what I was thinking. They, they inspire an astral sense, for sure. Astral Christmas, that's what I'm going to have this year. See, if we <laughs> nice. played uh, Spelljammer, we could play right underneath these guys. If we, oh, oh, I'd say we'd have to, like, triple part out. of the map. We have a monster right? Spelljammer. Like, I'm going to fly there, that one. <laughs> We have a monster dragon mini for Spelljammer. We could uh, hang it up there and, and have it. That would be so cool. <laughs> It'd have to be a little more tricky, though. Yeah. yeah. Use some uh, fishing wire. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. If you were in flight and didn't have a base. Right, that's the thing. Take a little bit of modding. Yeah. But he would uh, sell a whole different aesthetic for that set, that get up there. Getting balanced, though. Yeah. That'd be weird. He's just going to... They got those weird energy wings. Yeah. Dragons totally different in Spelljammer. They're like a mix between Chinese almost inspired Eastern dragons and like deep sea anglerfish. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of creepy. Aquatic dragons. Sure. Yeah. They kind of swim in space. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not really flapping for, for lift like normal dragons are. Right. They have a, a whole different... Design that is kind of uh, inspired by the biology of their setting and their environment. Which makes sense and leads into our first topic, which is that Wizards has announced that now there shall no longer be any references to race in regards to uh, your options as a player. Dwarves and gnomes and halflings and elves and all that kind of stuff. Now... These are to be referred to from this point onwards as species. Right. Which means that they have, like, biological differences. Yeah, and generally, uh, checking the forums and the reactions, I think this was a bit more controversial than it deserves to be, given that species, as far as I'm concerned, is completely correct. It's a more (laughs) accurate term used literally, though I feel like... (sighs) We've been using the word race in D&D for, what, 60 years now? <laughs> 40, right. yeah, yeah. Or 40, absolutely. yeah. It, it's, it's what it means. They're synonymous. Well, yeah. well, actually, I feel it was a misnomer way back then. Really? Um, and they made it sound like essentially, I mean, the implication was that, like, the species was humanoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And the races were human, mm. dwarven, elven. Orcs, I think, those were all races. 
Humanoids even more broad now, too, because people throw goblins and kobolds and even gnolls and stuff. Sure, you know. those were races. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and it makes a lot more sense if you do think of them as species. And it also gets you around that, like, I know there was some political correctness about applying, for instance, stat modifications to a species, well, at the time, a race, and any implication that that would have, I guess, connecting to reality. <laughs> In some way or another, maybe, but, you know, it all depends on how you're approaching it. Though, I did see that a lot of people reacted to this renaming, this reclassifying, uh, as saying, yeah, that it sounded too clinical for fantasy, too yeah. scientific to uh, refer to them as species. But I'm afraid that that's just objectively the case is <laughs> like they, they're definitely I mean, distinct come on wizards are the ones who like catalog this stuff yeah yeah they're the scientists of the sort of fantasy world right, right? Mm -hmm. that's very true and they're gonna have some pretty detailed language for that absolutely it seems like species would be well within their concept and it is non-offensive I've definitely used the term species in-game before to refer to the different races, mm -hmm. you know. Um, at the same time, if anyone opts to use the name race, you know, if someone says in one of my future games, yeah, my, I'm playing a, uh, a cleric, his race is dwarf, I'm not going to uh, crap all over them for that, because that's been the common uh, nomenclature for, yeah, over 40 years now, so... Who's yeah, to, uh, and a lot of the books that they're going to have access to for the foreseeable future are going to show the word race. Yes. This is a complete implementation will be made in D&D Next, which is the kind of code name for 6th edition or whatever they all D&D 1. Yeah, whatever they come up with in the end there, for sure. And they also did mention, yeah, like you had been saying before, uh, the stat changes based on race will likely, well, I believe it is confirmed that it will no longer be a thing. Uh, which, honestly, like, as a storytelling mechanism, if you want your gnome to have been raised in a circus as a strongman, then before his adventuring career, I would have no issue with him having a plus two to strength. Mm -hmm. And if your Goliath more was... more backstory focused. Yeah, well, yeah. If, for, if... for players, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I feel like, you know, you, if you take something from the same species, and let's say orcs. Yeah. Right? If you if you take orcs, don't you feel like they should have a, a increased strength and constitution? Just innately? Yeah. It might strip you from being able to tell a story where you were the... Sickly weak orc who learned magic. But that's for players. You're, you're going back to player. I'm talking about, like, if there's a big community of orcs... Oh, well, the uh, DM can do whatever uh, they want. Oh, it's yeah. their game. Maybe they're, <laughs> maybe they're super quick and smart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, it just is but, but attempting to... it seems to... like it starts to, like... You don't run into, like, super quick turtles. Oh, right. as a species, uh, turtles are super slow. quick. Turtle monks, yeah, yeah, those are a. Th I could see that being a whole <laughs> monastery. A no, you see, <laughs> what they're going to attempt to do is introduce more species options. You know, instead of uh, 
having an innate plus two to strength just because you're an orc, you'll have a plus two to damage with battle axes and martial weapons because you were raised, you know, it, it will be... You'll, you in were a raised, martial society. Yeah, in a culture that prioritized training you those things from an early age. Or maybe you pick the woodland orc, you know, choice and you have proficiency in survival in nature. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's really just, I think they're going to attempt to hand more power to the players and not necessarily strip any option from the DMs. And at the same time, though... Anyone who's super used to uh, playing the really rather refined uh, meta-subjective system of 3rd edition or 3.5, you know. They give you a lot of options. They they give you a lot of options, but it would be strange to consider, yeah, that a gnome would be potentially as strong as an orc. Because an orc barbarian... feet tall. Yeah, yeah, well, (laughs) they wouldn't necessarily be, but it's just... Also consider that the point has been made that player characters are exceptional versions of their particular species, right? Of course, so yeah. They are uh, subject to being unique in their attributes and stats. Mm-hmm. I think we all agree on that. I mean, you know, player characters can be whatever it is that the player envisions their backstory and their mm-hmm. history and their environment to have created them to be. As long as it fits in the the DM story, for sure. Right. But but there's also like you know general rules and attributes for oh, sure. Your average species, average orc is probably going to be yeah strong and hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, though that doesn't mean there can't be quick Except, ones if yeah. your DM wants to mix things up a little bit. Right. It makes you wonder what the monster manual will look like. That's I, true. I have no issue with this array of options for players. Uh, Will it impact the way that stats look in the monster manual at the DM side of things? Uh, That's definitely in question. I also wonder, since they seem to be prioritizing permitting player choice, is there going to be like a monster feat list? I sure hope so. But one of the other things that I kind of have a problem with is it looks like they're trending a lot more towards speed. Special abilities <laughs> that lend themselves towards like bonus action or regular action abilities. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm gonna be honest, I, I love to just stack passive feats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It's a, definitely a viable way to build up the character and stuff. And you know, I think that having a monster feat lift list is a cool thing to have access to for character flavor, but does ultimately put the system in a position where you know, players start going, oh, if you wanted to play a ranger that uses two weapons, why didn't you take two weapon fighting at the first opportunity? Because now you're never going to get ambidextrous before we go up against this stuff, which means that you'll never get, you know, mm-hmm. two weapon critical range increasing feats before we go up against this kind of, you know, you're, you're already behind the mark because you chose to not take a certain feat. I'm sure power gamers will yeah, right? have so, a field day. There's, yeah, the, Not as though that doesn't necessarily exist in 5e, either. Toughness is as good as it's ever been in 5e. Sometimes when people don't take toughness, you go, you really probably should have taken toughness on that level up, you know? But if there's more options, it may become even more refined in its limitations, ironically, you know? Mm -hmm. Though I've never had issue with anyone being like, 
I play a fat, slow cleric. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. often weaknesses define a character much more than their strengths. So it'll be interesting to see what they provide on that end. And that kind of loops back around to, in third edition, when you chose your species, uh, it could negatively affect your attributes. And sometimes that was interesting mm -hmm. to play the orc wizard because you were fighting an uphill battle, you yeah. know? <laughs> All your ability score increases had to go towards intelligence. intelligence. Yeah. Otherwise you'd be, yeah, so far behind the line. But yeah, D&D next. Definitely going to shake things up. Speaking of new stuff that's coming out, uh, a show that used to be one of our favorites and ended in the second season has returned. Which one? Mythic Quest. Mythic Quest is the best example of wasted potential <laughs> since Game of Thrones season six. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great idea for a show. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it has totally up our alley. Yeah. It calls out perfectly to a very niche audience that would love to see a show like this and has a great cast and great sets and cinematography and the writing completely flounders, unfortunately. And even here in season three, it's as though they don't know what they so obviously have to do to make this a hit. <laughs> so let's catch everybody up, though. If, you're not, if you don't know Mythic Quest, it's a... It's a uh, series on Apple TV that's now in season three. It didn't seem like season three was going to exist at all. No. no. Right? The end of season two definitely implied that uh, we're gone. Yeah, it just <laughs> felt done. And it felt done like in the last couple of episodes of season two. The, last, the one before the last was starting to feel odd. Mm -hmm. And then the last one like took a really hard right-hand turn or something and, uh, and just like... Dumped the show. Seemingly self-destructed, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it was a surprise to see season three, not only in production, but just kind of dropping out of the blue. Yeah, and uh, I've, I've only watched the first two episodes. I think there, there's more than that out now. I don't know if the whole season is out. But as a general synopsis, for the many of you who haven't really checked it out, Mythic Quest follows Iron, a video game industry visionary, and Egomaniac. His, yeah, his <laughs> lead game engineer, Poppy, uh, and their legions of underlings, kind of like The Office, you know, people working their everyday lives within an MMO production company. Yeah, a company making a, a big popular video game called Mythic Quest. Yeah, the titular uh, Mythic Quest. And it's, and it's very much like, it has a lot of inside jokes relating to the game development industry. And... And gaming in general, you know, yeah. if, you've, if you've played World of Warcraft or been around for a little while, at least in the gaming scene, then you might very well appreciate a lot of these uh, references and jokes that they come up with. Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, absolutely crapping all over monetization schemes. Oh, uh, yeah. Buying all the skins and... Yeah, yeah, loot boxes and yeah. NFTs and whatever they could get their hands on to just satirize. Yeah. Yeah, they they and, show yeah. you a lot of not only the creative and developmental side, but the corporate side and the corporate influence mm -hmm. and the capitalism that kind of ends up driving the whole thing, um, which, you know, it gives you... It, it, it's kind of a cool sort of comedy in that way in that it also gives you insight into 
the real world of what's going on behind the scenes in your favorite video game. Sure, yeah. All the workers or underlings seem stereotypes of, <laughs> uh, you know, their particular archetypes. Job. Yeah, yeah archetypes. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's got this wide cast of, like, uh, <laughs> the financial guy, Brad, played by Danny Pudi, who is in uh, Community. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the big actors. Uh, that's one of the names of the show. Yeah, much. totally. He nails it. Yeah, absolutely. And his character being the, the corporate douchebag that he is, is pretty much the devil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. He's a bad guy. I, I, he has some good line delivery, though. He's oh, my totally, gosh. He yeah. sells the, the role very well and plays a good uh, antagonist that you love to hate, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Ian himself. Who's Rob McElhaney. Uh, something like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who is from um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's one of the core cast there. Uh, it really, you know, it feels like he is this driving presence behind the entire production. And yet, at the same time, his writers do not hand him the best stuff to work with. No. The, the most frustrating thing about Mythic Quest is its obvious glimmers of potential. Yeah. Like I had said, it's wasted potential because it feels like it's so close to truly appealing to a group that would love to see a show like this. But instead, it either plays it too safe or goes too far or, I don't know, it never hits the type of hilarity that, per se, like The Office did or uh, Parks and Recreation mm -hmm. or the sitcoms that it really is trying to recreate the sense of while being modern and referential towards video games. Yeah, I think, I mean, in a lot of cases, it's like, uh, in sort of a baseball analogy, it's like they're swinging hard at the pitches, mm -hmm. but they keep, like, you know, sort of fouling out. You yeah. Know? Like it does, <laughs> yeah. It does never quite, like, drives down the middle and hits a home run. It's always just kind of like, Oh, that's a good try. Something went wrong. Yeah, and sometimes they are legitimately funny. Get a good chuckle out of you. Sometimes they have a line that's delivered really well or mm -hmm. is unexpected and stuff. Like, ah. But it never comes together to be a full package of what, like, <laughs> coherent character arcs or plotline would be like, yeah. you know? And for that reason, it's like they don't have a vision for even the next two episodes. Yeah, sometimes they really just blindside you with stuff. <laughs> I think they blindside themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I think they come in and make a new episode and don't have much care about what happened the last time or what's going to happen in the next one. That seems to be the case, which is pretty frustrating because with that talent, you would imagine them being able to uh, knock it out of the park instead, to continue your analogy, but... Then you have things on Apple TV that are like Ted Lasso. You know, I think they got like 14, what was it, Emmys on TV? Yeah, they got a lot of awards. Yeah, yeah, consecutive best comedy of the year awards and all sorts of great stuff. Deservedly so. Uh, <laughs> how can there be such a stark difference in writing quality when it's the same company behind them both? Uh, at the same time, Mythic Quest, funnily enough, Tied in with Ubisoft quite a bit, it seems. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, the first two seasons were actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. Well, the first season and a half. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not ready to give up on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch through the rest of what uh, season three has so far. I'm hoping that they pull it together. I think, 
uh, you know, there was something that went on behind the scenes that we never saw. Yeah. That, like, made it look like the show wasn't going to continue on, and then it did end up coming back. It lost one of its major characters mm -hmm. um, in the process. Well, I guess we'll see if they can turn it around. <laughs> So when you're a game shop that runs uh, magic and magic events, you all you're inevitably going to wonder if there's you know anything else out there that challenges where magic is at, and that offers you know players a different experience or well you know what is the competition when you have something that's so dominant? In um, general, you find there is no competition. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you you have Pokemon sure. over to the side. Generally, I mean, different audience yeah. though, you know. You've got Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm -hmm. um, that 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 is definitely a somehow still a thing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> somehow it is still a thing. It never took off for us, but some people love it absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, so the the new thing that that well, KeyForge was out for a while. Yeah, um, and it it never quite threatened uh, magic in any way. No. Um, even though it was developed by the same guy. It was um, cool, though. Yeah, very, <laughs> it was very cool. And, and actually, you know, we'll, we may be talking about Keyforge again at some point because it is... They're, they're trying to return with it. We mentioned that in a previous podcast. And uh, if, if it becomes a reality, we'll see what we see. But what you get the sense of is that... Many have tried to take down the king, and uh, all have failed for about, like, 30 years now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it, and it makes you wonder, is this where it's going to be? Mm -hmm. Is the entire industry going to be defined by what magic releases next? I can tell you confidently, based on the way that Hasbro treats places that actually play magic, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at this rate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to be running into a problem. Yeah. Um, if they keep doing what they're doing to both their their really fanatic player base mm -hmm. and the shops that make magic an important part of their business, they're, they're kind of uh, pissing all over both of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it definitely seems like there's a room for a conscientious competitor to come into play and at least shake things up yes and we think maybe we're seeing that now in flesh and blood flesh and blood which actually uh came out in 2019 it's not like this is the first we've heard of it right uh, i've played it near about the time it released uh it didn't particularly catch my eye i had a lot of fun but i couldn't imagine it being a real magic competitor you know uh, also there was some happenstance around that time that caused a lot of people to not be playing card games. Yeah, I don't know why, but everybody just stopped playing yeah, social yeah. games. <laughs> <laughs> but Flesh and Blood, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it seems to have a lot, you know, I mean, it has a lot of what uh, Magic has to offer, which is, you know, beautiful artwork, mm -hmm. incredible printing, uh, very collectible cards, limited runs of the collectible edition of, yeah, yeah. of the cards. Value. They're a they're a New Zealand company. Is they're, that yeah, based in New Zealand. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> All the cards are evergreen, so you always be able to get new uh, releases of the same old cards. Though uh, formats will eventually, I'm sure, make it so that there's a a more modern kind of constructed deck mm -hmm. format. Uh, 
Yep, and they do. Yeah, they do. You know, different. There's different formats of play, mm -hmm. um, including multiplayer and uh, uh, pit fighting. They yeah. call it, which is you know, yeah, that's their massive multiplayer kind of like you can have large groups in that in that thing. I don't know. That's some weird weird mechanics. Oh, sure. Where, yeah, where, yeah. Like apparently you can only attack. To your left players right. that are left and right of you. Oh yeah, but yeah. not someone across the table. That's sometimes whatever. in Magic they they try and run events like that as well, which is pretty interesting for sure. Uh, though there is kind of this difference in theme between the games. They're both fantasy hmm. trading card games, but Magic you're summoning up all these planar forces and uh, kind of raising ground out of nothingness. Yeah, yeah, there's there's this sense of this monster wizard duel going on. Uh whereas Flesh and Blood tries to focus more in on a very personal duel between heroes and villains uh and the weapons and maneuvers that they make are represented in the cards instead of like monsters and spells. And yeah, stuff. you 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 kind of have one hero, not not necessarily a whole ton of creatures or whatever. You have a hero and Bunch their, of equipment. Their equipment, yeah. and then the various features and capabilities that they can have. Now that sounds cool and modifiable and collectible and stuff, uh, but you know what really seems appealing about the game is that they don't treat game stores like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the case. I mean, we'll know soon, soon enough. We're in the process of getting set up to carry that product, mm -hmm. which means we need a new distributor and we need to qualify as being the type of store that they want to have it, but where they really don't treat game stores like garbage is they don't flood the market through stores that don't even care. Yeah. Walmart and Target. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> or online only stores. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, those, those people don't care at all about the players. Yeah. Um, and game stores have to care about the players. That's, you know, who we service. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it's just a whole different mentality from the top down. And it means that there's an ecosystem that we fit into, that players fit into, that collector, you know, card collectors and deck builder types yeah. really fit into. Um, it, it has a certain exclusivity to it mm -hmm. that, that makes it appealing. Um, you know, I think you feel like you, you end up feeling like you're part of something sort of special that you know about, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. We've definitely been seeing... Uh, an increased demand for it, which is pretty interesting, uh, I suppose, given that it's not as easy to get your hands on. And there's going to be a lot that we'll see about our relationship with this company and, and how they can provide it to us. Uh, but there, yeah, definitely is an appeal to something that you have to go to a game store for, you know? Not just because we're a game store. <laughs> But in general, it's good for the gaming community. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. We're the people who are going to uh, throw you a bunch of free promo cards yeah. and, and play games with you and stuff. Yeah, you know? give you a place to meet with your friends and, and actually play. Like-minded, interested, cool people. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to be a meeting ground for just that sort of thing. And I'll tell you what. The dude checking you out at Target is not going to want to hear it. <laughs> when you start telling him about the new Flesh and Blood release. Yeah, yeah. You're like, whatever, man. I hate my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's an important thing that they're doing, uh, the creators of Flesh and Blood. It's important that they treat it that way. It recognizes the importance of game stores in that overall system. No, sure. And it makes sure the game stores are around to 
provide that for the players. I mean, it's bizarre, yeah. you know, that, that uh, Hasbro believes that basically why don't they just make whatever the game stores are making instead Yeah, and people can play like at their house or whatever. Yeah, Hasbro would literally <laughs> try and throttle the necks of game stores for no particular reason, it appears. I'll tell you that in the past few years, our margin on Magic has only shrunk. <laughs> That's true. And that is not going to help its future in being supported around here. Not that we're, you know... The game as a whole, I thoroughly enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. Same with the community. Nothing against them. It's the suits at the top who want constant profit margins to be increasing year after year. Well, where are they going to find that margin but in the people they distribute to? Yeah, and the people that already are buying the product. Yeah. Right? I mean, the suits at Hasbro don't play this game. No. Don't go to game stores. Don't care. They don't yeah. Care. <laughs> they're they're spreadsheet people. They're yep. you know they they really they just they're they need their stocks about, to go up. Yep. They're concerned about the profits, mm -hmm. and you know that doesn't you know work where the rubber hits the road of them sort of extracting every dollar out of the players out of the game stores. Yeah. You certainly get the inclination that this is not the case with the flesh and blood guys, of course. Yeah. Like we've said a few times, we're, you know, we haven't shook hands with them yet, but uh, they, they're pitching us on this idea that they actually do care. And that is a fresh notion. <laughs> you know, we're looking at it. Yeah. It's caught our eye. And that about does it for this one. If you like hanging with us, please subscribe through your favorite podcast directory. Join our Discord and check out our shop, The Frugopolis Geekery. See you next time.